Well, I get to speak to you this evening about one of my favorite Christmas verses. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15 reads, This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. Now, you maybe have read that verse many times before. It might be the first time that you've heard that verse. Either way, perhaps you're sat there thinking it doesn't sound very much like a Christmas verse to me. If you're new here this evening, you should know we've been in Matthew's gospel all year long, and so in January of this year, we studied the narrative concerning Christ's birth, and my desire at this time of year was to turn to the epistles, the letters of the New Testament, and to see what the authors told us by way of explanation concerning the significance of Christ's birth. And so 1 Timothy 1.15 is a wonderful Christmas verse in that it gets right to the point of Christmas. It explains to us so clearly the so what of Christmas. This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. What does that verse teach us about Christmas? Very simply, it teaches us that we all should cherish Christ dearly as a Savior for our sins. We all should cherish Christ dearly as a Savior for our sins. Why do I say that? Well, Paul begins by saying this saying, is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. When you read those words, it does not mean that Timothy should question everything else that Paul wrote. When he says this saying is trustworthy, Paul is not suggesting that the rest of the letter should be questioned. Quite the opposite. You can trust every word that is in the Bible. Rather, as Paul writes to Timothy and says, this saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, he is emphasizing the truth that he's about to give. He is laying a particular emphasis on the next statement. Paul's desire is that Timothy would pay particular attention to the truth that comes next, Indeed, that he would take ownership of it, that it would be true on a personal level. Paul's desire is that Timothy would cherish dearly the truth that he's about to give to him in this verse. This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance reminds us very simply that we all are confronted with a decision at Christmas. The reality of 
Christmas, the celebration of this child in a manger in Bethlehem, confronts everyone with a decision. Christmas is already a time of many decisions. How do I invest my time? How do I invest my energy? Do I wear the green sweater with the reindeer or the red sweater with the Christmas trees? These are life-altering decisions. The most important decision you will ever make concerns your response to Jesus Christ. And so Paul says to Timothy, this saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, namely, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That statement is loaded with theological significance. When Paul says Christ Jesus, he doesn't use the word Christ as the last name of Jesus. We see that because he brings it in front of Jesus. When you think of that word Christ, don't think of it as his last name. You don't look up Jesus in the phone book under the CHR section. The word Christ is a title. And we see that again because Paul brings it to the front, Christ Jesus. It is a title that means Messiah. Jesus is the long-awaited-for Messiah. We sung that reality in a few of our carols this evening. Now, if we were to trace through the Old Testament Scriptures what it means to be the Messiah, we would find there was an expectation of a king. The Messiah would be a king. We would find from the Old Testament Scriptures that the Messiah would be a savior. And we would find, if we traced very, very carefully the concept of the Messiah in the Old Testament, we would find the expectation that the long-awaited-for Messiah would indeed be God. In fact, I wonder if you noticed in the Scripture reading that I read this evening at the beginning of the service from the book of Isaiah how the prophet tells us this one will be wonderful, mighty counselor, everlasting God. The long-awaited-for Messiah would be God himself. And that is really, really, really good news. Why is it good news that the Messiah is God? Because we all are sinners. We've all lived our lives according to our own plan. We've all lived our lives according to our own desires. It is true of every single one of us that we have offended the God who made us. And the Bible calls that sin. And it separates us from God. And it means that His wrath rightly rests upon us. It is your biggest problem. Whatever you have in mind this evening is your greatest problem. The Bible tells us your greatest problem is your sin. The wrath of God that rests upon every sinner justly. 
And it might be that you think, well, the solution is that I just need to try harder. We're all prone to believe that the solution to our greatest problem is in here. It might be that you come here this evening with experience of another religion. Maybe you come here from a Roman Catholic church or from Judaism or Mormonism, any other religion. Or perhaps you come, apart from any other religion, simply in and of yourself believing, if I live a good enough life, God will accept me. The problem with that is that your sin is so great, it is so extensive, it is so everywhere in your life that the source of the solution cannot come from the source of the problem. Or, to put it another way, the source of the problem that is you, cannot be that which generates the solution. The Bible teaches us that the solution to your greatest problem cannot come from within. It has to come from outside of you. It has to come from outside of us. Now, the solution must come in the likeness of a man. Because God's wrath demands a sacrifice. And because we are the sinners, the sacrifice must be a, a person. And yet at the same time, the solution must come from outside of humanity. And so you see the wonder of the incarnation. Jesus showed up. Fully man and fully God. God himself condescended to enter into humanity. The solution has to come from outside of us. It must be God himself. And so what we celebrate at Christmas is the good news that God has provided a way for us to be reconciled with him. God entered into the human race. Jesus took on human flesh. And came as an infant child. That's why I love this verse so much. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. It is a Christmas verse. It does speak about the coming of Christ as an infant in a manger in Bethlehem. But at the same time, it takes us immediately to the cross. This one verse so succinctly captures the full Christmas narrative. I'll often say one of the greatest problems at Christmas is that we don't allow Jesus to grow up. We delight to fixate on this child and to sing of him and to celebrate him because it is an inoffensive picture to ponder. But the true Christmas narrative is one that goes beyond the stable it considers Jesus' perfect life lived amongst us, never, ever having sinned. And it considers Jesus' death on the cross. 
He didn't open his mouth as those who were against him accused him. But rather, in accordance with God's plan, he willingly opened his arms and allowed his enemies to pin nails through his hands and his feet, that he would die on the cross as a sacrifice for sinners. That is why our readings this evening didn't just stay in the nativity narratives, but they took us to the cross and beyond to the empty tomb. The wonder of the Christmas message properly considered is that three days later, now the tomb is empty. And there's proof that the cross succeeded. Jesus succeeded in his mission. The tomb is empty. He has conquered death and sin. He came into the world to be a savior for sinners. Paul doesn't end there. He adds a few final words onto this wonderful verse, 1 Timothy 1.15. This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. That Christ Jesus came into the world as a savior for sinners of whom I am the foremost. If you know anything about the Apostle Paul, perhaps you know that prior to his salvation, prior to him becoming a Christian, he was a persecutor of Christians. In fact, just a few verses earlier, in 1 Timothy chapter 1, he says, I was a blasphemer, a persecutor. He did all that he could to bring harm to the church and to stop the gospel going forth. And then the Lord, by his grace, saved him. And Paul carried with him forever after this understanding, this deeply personal understanding of his own sin. This is genuine humility. As Paul writes, I am the foremost of sinners. And the worst of sinners, he had come to terms with his sin personally. Elsewhere, he writes, I am the least of the apostles. Now, I understand as you come here this evening that the outworking of sin in your life is not necessarily as grievous as it was in Paul's. The outworking of sin in your life, whatever that looks like, is not necessarily as grievous as it was in Paul's life. But the point is, he had come to terms with his own sin. It's very easy to look around and to see the reality of sin elsewhere. No one would deny there is a problem with sin in the world. It's very easy to look beyond yourself and to point to sin. And what the Bible demands is that we would acknowledge our own personal sin in acknowledging our sin before God. We would then cherish dearly Christ as a Savior for our sins. I want to read you a short excerpt from an article that was written in 1869, originally published in the Southwestern Presbyterian that tells of a story 
of a man that came to acknowledge his own sin personally and to cherish Christ as his Savior. The man was dying. He had one foot in the grave, dying of consumption. And the author of the article tells us that at some point in his life, he had broken away from every social restraint, every trace of virtue was gone in his life. Everyone around him considered him an outcast and an outlaw. A friend of his, a pastor, found him in his last few days. And as he sat by his bedside, he said to the man, it grieves me to the heart to find you thus. The man replied, we have not met for 20 years. If you had waited a few weeks longer, you must have searched for me in the graveyard. The pastor who writes the article then says, reader, I had prayed the Lord to make me wise to win a soul. And I was burdened with my prayer, laying my hand gently upon his knee. I said affectionately, do not be angry with me. Let me tell you what most distresses me. It is that you are halfway into eternity and so unready to die. He replied, it's no use to talk to me on the subject of religion. I'm a doomed man, as sure of hell, as if already shut up in its vault of fire. My friend, how can you say so? Because, he said, I'm a drunkard. No drunkard shall inherit the kingdom of God. His eyes flashed with an unearthly gleam as he fiercely continued. You do not know what sort of drunkard I am. I carry my jug to bed with me every night. It takes the place of my wife, and I pull from it so often, it can scarcely be said to be corked at all. If I could only break the bonds of this cruel habit, there might be hope for me. But I've tried a thousand times in vain. I'm bound hand and foot with its accursed chains, and there's nothing left to me but to drink and to be damned. The pastor replied, what you need is a savior to save you from your drunkenness. He shall be called Jesus, because he shall save his people from their sins. The salvation from hell is only the result of this salvation from sin. You must come to Jesus as a drunkard or not at all. He writes, with this, we bowed together in prayer, during which the poor, emaciated frame shook with sobs, as though it would fall to pieces with the violence by which it was racked. The friend left him. And he returned a few days later, at which point the man said to him, when you went away, I prayed God to have mercy upon my poor soul. 
all at once, the shackles fell off from me. And I have been full of peace and joy ever since. Pausing for a little fuller statement before committing myself to a reply, he resumed, I'm a very ignorant man. It is many years since I've been within the walls of a church, and I've forgotten almost everything my pious old mother taught me at her knee. But I want to tell you what I think the gospel is. Where I am wrong, you will correct me. Promising to be very honest in my criticism, he proceeded. I think then that we are all born into this world with wicked hearts. We are all guilty and condemned from our birth. That Jesus Christ has come into the world to save us. If we will only trust entirely in him, but that he won't be half a savior to anybody. I must not do the best I can and then come to him to complete what remains. I must come at once, just so, and let him do the whole work from beginning to end. He will be a whole savior or none. Is that the gospel? Grasping his hand in both of mine, I replied in a voice husky with emotion, if you had been a doctor of divinity for 50 years, you could not have put it better. Kneeling down on the same spot where we had prayed before, we blessed our God and Father, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The decision that Christmas confronts all of us with is whether we would cherish dearly Christ as a Savior from our sins. Whether you would acknowledge this evening the reality of your sin before God. And you would trust that Christ is a savior for your sins. I would love to speak to you this evening if you have never done that. If you have never trusted in Christ for salvation, please come find me, speak to the person beside you. Don't leave this evening without speaking to someone about the truth of Jesus Christ and his coming to earth. I'm going to close in prayer now and pray a very simple prayer acknowledging my sin before God and confessing that Christ is a savior for me. And if what I have said this evening is acceptable to you, I would invite you to pray with me. Holy God, I am a sinner. I have sinned against you. 
I confess this evening my sin. Christ came into the world to save sinners. He is a savior. And I trust him for my salvation. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.